After the racist mass shooting in Buffalo and the school massacre in Uvalde, Texas, lawmakers in Washington are finally taking action. Last night, a bipartisan bill cleared a big hurdle in the Senate. It includes the strongest gun restrictions in nearly 30 years, but still falls short of broader measures pushed by Democrats. So what are local leaders doing? Reset has reached out to the mayor, the governor, Chicago's police superintendent, and others to hear their plans for reducing gun violence. We start that series of conversations today with Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be here, Esther. Thanks for having me. State's Attorney Fox, uh, it's summer in Chicago, the most beautiful time to be in the city. But we know that when temperatures rise here, so do incidents of gun violence. 47 people were shot, at least five killed uh, in Chicago over this past weekend alone. Why do you think shootings are such a persistent problem uh, in, in the Chicago area? Yeah, let me first say there's nothing like summertime shy mm-hmm. um, anywhere in the world. And it is a lifelong Chicago and it's one of my favorite seasons of the year. But you're right. We tend to see an uptick in violent crime, particularly gun violence um, in the warmer months as more people are out, as there's more opportunity for engagement um, with one another and, and petty beefs and squabbles mm-hmm. um, turn deadly when people have guns. And so, you know, I think it's not a new phenomenon. Uh, the sad reality is I remember being a kid growing up in Cabrini um, in the warmer months meant, you know, that we had to hide. And so I think part of the thing that we need to reckon with is that where we are um, as a city, as a nation related to gun violence is not new. The solutions um, have been right before us, but I think there has not been the will to have an honest conversation and do the hard work to address the epidemic of gun violence in our country. Do you see the mass shootings that we just mentioned, Uvalde, Buffalo, as a separate issue from the shootings in Chicago? Not at all. I think gun violence is gun violence. And I I think we've seen uh, political leaders try to distinguish the two. I think we we have a notion, even in the city of Chicago, to talk about illegal guns. What we know is that the guns that were uh, used in Buffalo, that were used in Uvalde, that have been used in a number of mass shootings, were legal guns. Um, These were people who were killed by a gun that they were legally allowed to possess. In Chicago, we have a a high level of gun violence by those who have illegal guns, um, who are not allowed to possess those guns. What I will tell you is that, you know, whether there's a receipt for the weapon or not, the damage and devastation doesn't matter. It happens. And so we have a gun problem, legal, illegal. We have an addiction Uh, to guns and violence. And we have, I think, a higher sense of urgency when we believe that those who have been harmed are not complicit in their deaths than we do um, when we see gun violence in neighborhoods like we see on the south and west sides of Chicago. So this year, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot announced a few different approaches to to tackling this gun uh, summer gun violence. The safety plan includes a curfew at the city's parks, more summer outreach workers, more resources uh, through the city's Community Safety Coordination Center. Superintendent David Brown says CPD is using foot and bike patrols focused on troubled spots, and they're also cracking down on illegal guns. Uh, in your opinion, is that is that enough? I, I think it's certainly incredibly helpful. I, I think we need an all-hands-on-deck holistic approach. I think what you're describing and talking about foot patrols and kind of the like immediate what happens in a circumstance that we can predict, right? What what happens when we have festivals or when the beaches are open? How do we secure perimeters? We absolutely need that. People need to be safe. 
but we also, to the point I was making earlier, need the to address the root causes of this violence. We do know that neighborhoods that are healthy, safe, and thriving have less crime. And so the neighborhoods that are most impacted by the gun violence in the city of Chicago, we have to have like immediate, like what are the things that we can do to make sure communities are safe in the moment, but we also have to invest in economic development, in trauma recovery. Uh, we have to make sure that those communities are thriving. And so it's a both and. I think we have to stop pretending that it's too hard to deal with root causes. We've got to just deal with the immediate. We have to do both and we have to invest in both. Having a summertime strategy and then in the fall saying we go back to where we were and not addressing the root causes means that we'll just keep preparing for summer strategies every year and not being uh, as thoughtful about addressing gun violence as a whole. So what movement would you like to see from city and law enforcement uh, that I didn't just mention earlier? Well, I think one of the things that we should talk about is that we are coordinating, right? I think part of that, the, the both and requires a level of coordination between city, state, federal, um, and community members. And so I'm really pleased at the efforts that we have made at the state's attorney's office to work with Chicago Police Department and our other law enforcement partners um, to regularly meet and strategize about you know, areas where we may see potential conflicts, um, looking at alternatives uh, to engagement, uh, particularly around young people, um, and really you know, working in partnership with community leaders and advocates, faith leaders, um, who are closest to the issues and have a wealth of information. And so I think, you know, the things that have worked in other areas that have has seen a reduction in gun violence um, in the past has been that, a true community uh, engagement uh, partnership with law enforcement and those who have been impacted. So you just mentioned that your office is meeting with these uh, other agencies, but what is just your office alone, what, what, is, what is your office doing to address the problem? Sure. So I have to remind people that our office is what I would call a last responder. Um, we, are off, we are only involved after a crime has been committed and someone has been arrested. Now, I think many times people will watch something on the news. You watched something last night and an incident has happened and they will say no one is in custody. If no one is in custody, our office is not involved. We become involved once an arrest is made and our job is to review the evidence, the facts and the law to determine if charges are appropriate. Um, and working with our law enforcement partners to build the strongest cases possible. And so what I am proud of is over the course of the last five years of this administration, we have seen uh, more gun cases that have been prosecuted uh, during this time period than the time prior to that. Um, we are building and working to have cases that are able to sustain our burden to meet a conviction. Uh, we are doing innovative things like our gun crime strategies unit, placing prosecutors in some of our hardest hit neighborhood um, police districts to work with law enforcement and community members to address who the drivers of that violence are and to strategize before that trigger is pulled. You know, we, we do a wonderful job as last responders, but we also want to be more strategic and thoughtful about how to use the weight and resources of our office to be strategic in the prevention of violent crime. Your office has been criticized, uh, though, for not being tough enough on crime. The mayor, the superintendent of police have both pointed their fingers at you and the court system in the past. I think they're still pointing the finger now. What's, what's your reaction <laughs> to that? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a lawyer and a prosecutor. So I believe you have to have evidence. And I, I think one of the incredibly frustrating things about that narrative around finger pointing is often done without the benefit of data. Uh, we don't have time for empty rhetoric. You know, one of the things I'm incredibly proud of is the fact that we are, we're transparent. Uh, we were the first prosecutor's office in the country to put every piece of felony case level data on an open data portal. And so the data tells us that we are prosecuting these crimes, that almost 86% of cases that come before us where the evidence is sufficient, we are charging. Uh, we are charging uh, vehicular hijackings. We are charging gun cases. And when it comes to bail reform, it's one of the things that has taken a lot of, of heat. There have been independent studies done by Northwestern University, University of Chicago, Loyola. There's no data. And so I don't get involved in the arguments around finger pointing. I think we should not even substantiate people saying things that are not backed up by the data. And the data tells us that our office is doing what we are required to do. Um, and as hor horrifying and frustrating as this violence is, we cannot succumb to saying pithy things on sound bites that don't get us any closer to solution. That's my response to that. Well, let's talk a little bit about bail uh, and electronic monitoring. The mayor has strongly criticized the criminal court system and said that people who are accused of violent crimes and awaiting trial should not be let out on bail or electronic monitoring. Does she have a point? I, I think we have to start with what the, the mayor as a former prosecutor and lawyer knows is that we're bound by the United States Constitution and the Illinois Constitution. And the way that our Constitution is set up, there is in the Bill of Rights um, provisions on how we uh, issue bail. And the, the truth is the law says that judges, judges must make a determination um, and set a reasonable bail based on a number of factors. And so judges have to look at what is the nature of the offense. You know, the statute in Illinois says that you just can't hold someone without bail arbitrarily. And so we have to follow those rules. And so I understand the frustration. I believe that we should have dangerous people who pose a threat to our communities held in custody before trial. Absolutely. But we must do it in a way that comports with our constitution. And we cannot have a system in which someone just gets to arbitrarily say that everyone should be in jail um, before trial. That flies in the face of our United States Constitution. This is Reset. I'm Esther Yunji Kang in for Sasha Ann Simons, and we're talking with Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox about gun violence and how to stop it. Uh, Attorney Fox, uh, Mayor Lightfoot has argued that when a person who, quote, has a rap sheet as long as my arm, end quote, commits an act of violence, that it's reasonable to hold them pretrial for the safety of the public. Do you agree? And why is that not currently the protocol when dealing with suspects of uh, violent crimes? Well, Esther, I wouldn't say that that isn't the protocol. I, I, I just said, and I will repeat because I think it bears repeating. I think anyone who poses a risk to the public um, should be pre detained pre-trial so long as we meet our constitutional burdens. That's just a fact. I have to often remind people, Cook County, uh, home of the largest single-site jail in the country, when I was in high school back in the 80s, um, had a consent decree that was enacted uh, because of overcrowding and conditions at the jail. Back in 2012, we had 10,000 people in that jail. And the data, data, not rhetoric, was that 70% of the people who were in that jail were there because they couldn't afford bail. And the overwhelming majority were there for the nonviolent offenses. We cannot, in times of fear, 
use rhetoric that is not supported by the data. People who pose a risk should be held, people who don't should not, and we have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis, and a judge makes that determination. Earlier this month, in response to two Chicago police officers and a U.S. marshal being shot in separate incidents, the mayor also said that people felt emboldened to shoot at law enforcement because they don't feel they're going to be held accountable for their actions. Uh, your thoughts? Back, I, I like to always go back in history. Back in 1990, when we had almost a thousand shootings in the city of Chicago, or a thousand homicides in 1990, so some 32 years ago, those were the arguments that were being made. Anyone who uh, tries to harm anyone in our communities, including, including law enforcement, are responsible for their actions. This notion of emboldening um, criminals because they are not afraid of consequences. The United States incarcerates more people per capita than anywhere else in the country. If our incarceration rates that we have seen over the course of the last several years would tell us that that in fact makes us safer, that I'm confused as to how we're having the same conversations about addressing violence today than we did when I was a senior in high school. Again, we have to be wedded by facts. I, I can go back and forth on all of the things that the mayor says and would say to you and, and, and say to the mayor and I've had before, let's back it up by data and evidence so that we can make sure that the solutions that we have actually work and that we don't spend all of our time going back and forth about things that we know we can't substantiate. It, well, talking numbers here, your office has a 75% conviction rate, but some critics are saying that conviction isn't enough and that they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. 15th Ward Alderman Ray Lopez, uh, who's running against Lightfoot for mayor, he said, are they prosecuting to the fullest charges possible or are they pleading everyone down just to get the case finished and finalized? How would you respond? You know, I, I think we have to remind people about process. So, so a conviction means that someone has been found guilty or admitted guilt uh, to a crime. And the fact of the matter that three out of four people who have been charged with a crime um, have been convicted. We also understand that even though we bring charges, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that someone is guilty. A judge, a court um, has to make that finding. And so 75% conviction rate um, is not something uh, to be dismissed about. And again, I go back to, you know, if you were worried about the sentencing, if we're talking about, you know, well, now they've been convicted, we have a prison system in which people serve their time and almost 50% of them end up back in the criminal justice system within three years. You tell me another business model in which the success rate of your model is 50% and we keep investing in it. And so again, these are not new issues. This issue of crime and violence, recidivism has existed long before I've come into office. And I think the way that we get to actual solutions is what have we done in the past that does not work? How do we engage new innovative thinking and partners? Um, and how do we make sure that it is transparent and rooted in data, evidence, and best practices? That we, We've talked about a lot of the issues, um, but I do have to ask about something that got a lot of attention recently. It's been a couple of weeks since your husband called police to your South Suburban home over a domestic incident. Um, how do you ensure when you're involved in something connected to our legal system that no ethical lines are crossed because of your position? Well, first of all, I want to say as an elected leader, I recognize that I 
am subject to you know, a set of rules and conditions that the average citizen doesn't. But the respect of the privacy of personal family issues that aren't involved in the criminal justice system should be afforded to me and particularly to my children and to my husband. And what I will say is that if there is ever an issue in which uh, there's a conflict, there are mechanisms that are in place um, that ensure that. Even for example, when I was the victim of a hate crime in which someone threatened to shoot me in the back of the head and hang me from uh, a tree, the Illinois Attorney General's office is involved in that case because to your point, as an elected official, as the state's attorney, um, it is a conflict for my office to handle that. And so there are mechanisms that are in place uh, to do that. We have seen that play out uh, previously, but as it relates to the issue with my family, I'm gonna reiterate that this is an issue that is personal and private and, and certainly would hope and expect um, a respect that would be given uh, to other families. That's Coca. That's Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox. Thanks for checking in with, with, with us today. Of course, Esther. Stay cool out there. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.